0: Okay. and she's um, uh, giving the talk today, and the, t- the title is The Greatest Negro Monuments on Earth, Richmond parties, memorials, to Toussaint Louverture, and Jean-Jacques Dessalines." So she's gonna speak now, and then we'll have the other speakers, and then we'll have questions at the end. Cheers. Thank you, and thanks for bearing with us for this talk. Be more tea. And wine, <laughs> shortly and right. Um, African American sculptor Richmond a 60 60-year-old, 40 feet high monuments to Haiti's independence leaders Toussaint Louverture and Jean-Jacques Dessalines were at the epicenter of the devastating earthquake that hit Haiti in January 2010. Yet yeah, the sculptures remain standing, as other structures, including large sections of the national palace, which can see in the background here, were raised to the ground. The monument's endurance can be read symbolically as the survival of Haitian revolutionary idealism in the face of the shallow ostentatiousness of the palace, a home to dictators throughout much of its hundred year history, and whose opulence Lancet and Hughes condemned for, and I quote, heightening the drabness of Haitian poverty. However, uh, with the earthquake claiming 300,000 lives, which is equivalent to the population of Oxford twice over, and with the palace grounds serving as a temporary residence to thousands of displaced people. The statue's intractability could also seem like cold indifference to the nation's sufferings. Their resilience points at the stark contrast between the promise of freedom, which as symbols of hated self-emancipation from slavery, they were intended to evoke and the hardships that islanders continue to endure. The sculptures were a pan-Africanist endeavour aimed at promoting black pride and tourism, but they also served to bolster the status of political leaders and of singular black male hero figures as the nation's liberators. They speak to the ways in which so much state sponsored iconography, excluded Haitians from their own culture, and even served as methods of social control. Haitian dictator Francois Papadoc de Valle would later employ such methods of cultural manipulation to great personal effects. Yet if the sculptures continue to survive, it is also because Haitians have allowed them to do so. Monuments associated more explicitly with authoritarianism have since been torn down, and you can see them here. The purpose of this paper is to explore Barthe's monuments as multifaceted symbols of Haitian history and nationhood. Although largely overlooked by scholarship, the monuments demand attention as cultural focal points for the art of the nation. Hailed by the black USS on their unveiling as, and I quote, the greatest Negro monuments on earth, they have infiltrated the national and international imagination and represent Haiti's most grandiose tributes. To its revolutionary leaders. I'm interested in the ambivalent ways in which they have spoken for and to Haitians and also to many African Americans, mid century Americans, for whom they were a symbol of black pride. And I also want to begin to, be to uncover the ways in which Haitians have talked about. I draw on Lawrence Brown's observation and I quote monuments cast in stone or metal were intended by their creators to have a fixed meaning yet the shifting reactions to their unchanging physical forms reveal that perceptions of the Caribbean past have always been fluid, divisive, and contested, unquote. The sculptures were the product of Barthes' art history, but also part of an NAACP effort to showcase Haiti as an example of black self-governance and represent visions of black self-emancipation, then largely unknown, to public arts. Equally, they were shaped by a touristic agenda that sought to sanitize Haitian folk culture and represented an attempt by political leaders to assert their own legitimacy through association with the nation's revolutionary heroes. However, the memorials continually in existence demonstrate that their significance extends beyond short-term and that they endure as symbols of national pride and resilience. As tributes to black independence, their influence has been felt on the aesthetic landscape of other Caribbean nations emerging from colonialism in the second half of the 20th century. Quasi's memorials were commissioned to coincide with two commemorative events. The 1849 to 50 Port-au-Prince Bicentennial Exposition and the official celebrations marking the 150th anniversary of Haitian independence in 1954. These events were the culmination of a US-Haitian cultural partnership that sought to position the island as a tourist mecca, an international beacon of black pride. The expositions have tremendous social significance. They were the first of their kind to center on black culture and history. Since the late 19th century, Expositions had served as sites by which European and US governments laid claim to be the most economically and culturally advanced and hence civilized nation. As the US developed into an imperial power, turning its attention to Haiti and Latin American uh, more Germany, Expositions served as pope beacons of colonial propaganda.
1: At such events,
0: Africans and Native Americans were frequently exhibited in anthropological displays to assert European racial primacy. By contrast, black cultural producers found their work segregated from the main exhibits or excluded altogether. Now, Maver Wilson contends that black artists worked within such frameworks to formulate what she terms bold counter narratives to American progress, and that their work provided early evidence of a pan-Africanist agenda That, and I quote, promoted unity throughout the Black diaspora and African continent as a means of leveraging power against Euro American imperial ambitions. More significantly than these interventions, however, the Haitian celebrations were not bound to imperialist narratives and thus represented an opportunity for Black elites to construct a vision of Black history and culture on their own terms. Now for early 20th century anglophone and francophone black Atlantic artists and intellectuals, in the Haitian Revolution could be found the origins of a global black consciousness and the inspiration for an independent black future. In the black Jacobins, in Trinidadian writer C.L.L. L. James positioned the revolution as a model for post-colonial independence. Frederick Douglass, his appointment as Haiti's commissioner made him a lone black voice at the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, praised the island nation for, and I quote, shocking the Christian world with an understanding of the manliness of blacks. He cited Haiti's military achievements as a model for reframing dominant understandings of black societies, and in turn, transforming their social and political status in the U.S. Douglass' assertions were echoed by NAACP Secretary Walter White, who helped to instigate the vigorous Haitian PR campaigns of which the exposition were part, and who described Haiti as, and I quote, a symbol of what Negroes can do in self-government, concluding that what happens in Haiti has repercussions which far transcend Haiti itself. The commemorations were also made possible by radical Haitian political change. Between, 18, 19, between 1915 and 1934, Haiti endured an oppressive and humiliating US military occupation, which placed the, the nation's political power in the hands of light skinned elites. So, depression fueled an intellectual movement known as Andejinisme, which stressed the value of black Haitian culture. And a political movement known as Moriisme. Which sought to create a political class truly representative of Haiti's black majority. In 1946, in what came to be known as the Authentic Revolution, light-skinned president Aimé Lesko, <laughs> was removed from power and replaced by Dumarsais Estimé, a member of the black bourgeoisie. Kate Ramsey reads the bicentennial exposition as a kind of official legacy of the undergained movement's mm-hmm. attempt to restore the island. the expositions were modeled on, U- on European conceptions of modernity. For the $6 million Port-au-Prince Centennial, a 60-acre slum was transformed into the Cité du Marseille Estime or Cité de l'Exposition which featured hotels, a casino, and an open-air theatre. Although ostensibly a celebration of Haitian the site featured modernist buildings, classical sculptures shipped from Italy, and foreign art commissions of Tvartes' sculptures too, as when the Asquith observes, many of the local commissions went to artists how to be modernist rather than primitive. teammates' cultural politics were informed by the indigene's recognition of a link between Haitian elite contempt for their folk culture and the loss of political sovereignty in 1915. However, the US occupation had exacerbated cultural myths of the island as a land of savagery and sorcery. And the exposition, in its efforts to present a sanitized vision of the Haitian culture, can be read as a reaction to these distortions. His Walter White, for example, uh, head of the NAACP, considered himself to be working against a US representation of Haiti as what he termed a poverty stricken, illiterate, hopelessly backward cultural. Country whose people are little removed from the jungle, and practically all of whom practice food. The appointment of Barthe reflects this ambivalence towards Haitian folk culture. Barthe's Creole heritage, he was born in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, and grew up in New Orleans, it gave him an ancestral link to and whilst working on the sculptures, he took a residence in Jamaica. When first arriving in Haiti, he gave voice to a burgeoning sense of describing or declaring that. Truly, it is a great thing to know of the rich heritage of this French-speaking nation, and to learn that we are all brothers under the skin, after all. Guate's frequently male youth sculptures were daringly central assertions of, of the beauty and humanity of their subjects. Yet his artistic survival of one of the few black sculptures of the mid-twentieth century owed a great deal to his pragmatic relationship and ability to negotiate their cultural politics. Technically conservative, <coughs> his art adhered to a Euroclassical ideal linked to elitist notions of racial uplift. Moreover, his early explorations of slavery, as seen in this monument from 1939 entitled Lincoln and the Emancipated Slave, capitulated a dehumanizing objection, to the dehumanizing objection of abolitionist iconography. Now, Barte's m- mon- monument to Tussa which was commissioned for the bicentennial, should therefore be understood as a site of cultural negotiation that spoke to elite concerns with racial uptake, centered on Eurocentric notions of artistry. The sculpture adhered to a neoclassical tradition of the heroic ideal, and Barte drew on sculptures of George Washington for inspiration. Yet, within this framework, the sculpture is nevertheless radically subversive in its vision of black self emancipation, an impossible projection that you might not be able to see in this part, of masculine authority. The statue's aged physiognomy is juxtaposed with a youthful physicality. <laughs> Such a conflation of identities both inflates Toussaint's heroic exceptionalism in realities thought to have kept slaves or elite high, and opposed a brutal plantation system and also obscures the ordinary Haitians who fought alongside him for freedom and national independence. Yet by combining aged wisdom with youthful might, Bate creates in a single image an evocative assertion both of Haitians' military capabilities and their capacity for political leadership, thus giving visual force to Douglas's statement about the manliness of facts and challenging racial. So the sculpture should therefore be understood as a meaningful attempt to counteract a visual history of enslavement based on black people's passivity, and instead construct a cultural framework by which black societies could assert their political capabilities and carve out a, a post-colonial future based on a heroic black past. Quate exaggerated the, the model's shoulders and Toussaint holds a sword in his right hand which emphasizes his power. The weapon rests at Tucson's side, which hints perhaps that the battle's already won, but also of restraint, counteracting popular construction as a patient savagery and offering instead an image of dignified statesmanship. Moreover, although Tucson's sword is lowered, the sculpture's open stance suggests that he is ready to use his sword if provoked. The sculpture is poised to commit violence, but only in self defense. Barthes-Toussaint is a man of honour who, who will only shed blood in righteous defense of the nation. The uniform has also been turned down, or has been turned down from the original costume. Bartes toussaint is not ostentatious, but a humble servant to his citizens. The statue holds to his chest, which you might be able to do, a copy of the 1801 constitution of Saint-Domingue, which formally ended as saviour Haiti. And the proximity of the document to his heart emphasizes his dedication to the nation and foretells his death in a French prison in defense of his principles. The sculpture offers a poignant contrast to what is thought to be the only portrait taken from life of Toussaint, an engraving by Pierre Charles Banquart, believed to have be been made in France shortly after Toussaint's capture, and which depicts a small, Aged and defeated man, who, although adopting the erect posture of a military leader, stands bareheaded and with his sword loosely at his side. Moreover, although Barte's sculpture adheres to Eurocentric notions of artistry, the choice of model indicates a deliberate attempt to foreground Toussaint's African events, African history. Um, Barte appointed to the task oral Wilson, a member of the Catherine Dunham Dance Dunham was an African-American dance anthropologist and Haitian voodoo initiate who introduced Caribbean ritual dance forms to the international stage. An ardent practitioner and later teacher of Dunham technique, an extremely physically demanding dance practice. Wilson's physique and posture reflected his training in Haitian bodily dialogue, developed spiritual and psychological responses to enslavement and oppression he provided Barte with an image of commanding physicality, which underscores the artist's commitment to creating a new, celebrating vision of black autonomy, grounded in physical power. Equally, in a dance company whose members' complexions varied greatly, and which included a Jewish dancer, Wilson was deemed to have features that looked particularly African, and his South Florida heritage suggested that he shared with Barthé a cultural and perhaps even ancestral connection to the Caribbean. However, perhaps I'll show you the, this one again. Um, Barton's aggrandized memorial to Tucson could be read not simply as a pan the memorial for independence, but also as an act of cultural manipulation that set a pattern for the Devaliers' 29 degree. By playing up Maurice's conceptions of heroic black leadership, the monument occluded the self-serving behavior of many members of the Noir's government and could be understood as a personal tribute to the master David Lambert contends that, in the wake of radical political change in the post-colonial Paraguay, emerging elites drew on heroic imagery to assert their legitimate authority. Similarly, Barry Hickson suggests that the creation of national heroes in post-colonial Jamaica may be read as a system of social control. Such assessments can be applied equally to mid-century Haiti, which underwent a similar shift from Eurocentric to noirist governance after the US occupation. And Carlos Savius, who traces the exploitation of a mythological heroism back to Desiline and Alexandre Pesson in the early nineteenth century, asserts that, and I quote, the portrait of the hero is central to the apparatus of power Now that's Catherine Dunham, um, who had a relationship with Estime in the mid-1930s, later painted a portrait of a man who was devoted to ending child labour and to providing shoes, sanitation, and schooling for his citizens. She asserted that Estime's ambition was not for self, but for service. Yet she admitted in relation to certain of his actions as president, which included dissolving radical leftist parties. Condoning the violence of his supporters and attempting to extend his mandate, that concerning Dumas' estime, I am left in doubt about many things. Historian Matthew Smith emphasized with estime's a high sense of self importance, concluding that, and I quote, the grandiosity of the exposition and the recognition he received from it definitely created illusions of grandeur. Now, such grandeur was reflected in another exposition album which included brightly colored mur- murals that trace a historical trajectory from, from Toussaint to Esteemais. <coughs> however Estime's uh, Esteem- attempt to exploit Barte's monument for self-aggrandizing purposes failed. The opulence of the exposition in the midst of economic depression, combined with poor ticket sales, led to the president's sudden downfall and prevented the sculpture from being replaced in time for the West Instead, it would be shipped alongside Barthé's monument of Desiline, four years later, for the 150th anniversary celebrations of Haiti's independence from slavery. Yet if Barthé's memorial to Tucson ultimately evaded direct association with Estime, his sculpture of Desiline came to serve as a tribute to a new Haitian president, Paul Maglar, who was much more cynical than Estime in his treatment of Haitian folk and whose brutal behavior towards his opponents preempted the devaluing of the dictatorship. Like the Port-au-Prince Bicentennial, the independence of in 1954 was also a commemorative <clears throat> showcase of Haitian culture, presided over by Walter White and the NWACP. The celebrations, which included folkloric choirs, dance troupes, and a grand ball for 3,000 guests of the presidential palace, began at Gaudaille the site of the signing of the Declaration of Independence before moving to Port-au-Prince for a dedication to his monuments. The event attracted substantial U.S. media interest which bolstered African American pride. However, the celebrations maxed the presence of presidency that allowed the nation's light-skinned elite to reclaim its political prestige and which exploited Haitian artistry whilst at the same time jailing and forcing as Smith summarises and their quote, with Maglar, a new cultural context emerged in which black consciousness enjoyed limited support, and the celebration of Haiti's African heritage was seen as having little more than ceremonial value. Although Tucson is much more widely celebrated outside of Haiti, Desalines who continued the revolution to its bloody conclusion in the wake of <coughs> Tucson's imprisonment and death, in a, in a French prison, is far greater significance for all the Haitians. It is the only revolutionary leader to be represented in the Voodoo Pantheon of Spirits. In a 1904 monument, commissioned to mark the centenary of the revolution, Haitian sculptor Normo Sharp depicted Dessaline holding two swords, and until its removal by U.S. see seat in this picture, um, carrying a national flag with the, motto, with the motto, liberty or death, and to die rather than be in the, the domination or in power. Pierpathe's is a physically distanced figure who speaks not to ordinary Haitians, but to Maglars' sense of grandeur. The sculpture, which depicts Dessaline on horseback, can be read as a deliberate tribute to McGlar, an ostentatious figure who openly identified with Dessaline. The president was renowned for his military processions on horseback and instructed Barthe to construct an equestrian statue, of Desiline, effectively positioning himself as the model for the image. As with the Tucson sculpture, the monument provided an authoritative vision of black independence that challenges him themes of objection. The original <laughs> model for Desiline, which you might just be able to make out in this picture, shows the leader with his sword a lot preparing to lead his men into battle against the colonist forces. Yet the finished sculpture was toned down, which perhaps singles Barté's growing awareness of the cynical political of his project. Unlike Toussaint, Barthes' Desoline is neither a heroic warrior nor a cerebral politician. Instead, he raises his hand in an indifferent way that invokes the regal bearing of a distant. European statesman. And as Margaret Vendries has observed, and I quote, rather than recording the valiant soldier, Barthes' desoline memorialises the black man who mimics and mocks the vanquished Napoleon by also assuming the title of emperor for the new nation of So Barty's monument served to bolster that pride, it also served to mask cultural and political oppression. McGlar persecuted indiscriminately all political groups that he considered to be a threat to his regime and normalised state violence providing a template for the brutal military regime of his success Duvalier. Despite his indifference to the war isma, Muglar also mythologized Estime's authentic revolution of 1946 which would allow Duvalier to claim that he was continuing the revolution. Now, Barthes' sculptures began life as pioneering, rapidness, cultural endeavors that aimed to challenge dehumanizing constructions of enslaved men and women and carve out a new cultural legacy for black subjects. Radical in their celebration of self-emancipation, they provided a potent vision of freedom that asserted black society's right to self-governance in a world still underpinned by colonialism. Yet Bartes' romantic visions of heroic black male leadership Occluded ordinary Haitians' contributions to independence and were co opted by a post US occupation generation of black pe- presidents to bolster their power. The statues and the expositions of which they were a part set a pattern for culturally exploiting Haitian history for political gain, which would be adopted more fully by Duvalier, with the figure of Desalines in particular becoming synonymous with the potato. Nevertheless, the fact that they have endured beyond <coughs> the regime underscores their contested status as sites of history and nation. Following the exile of Duvalier's son and successor, Jean-Claude Baby-Doc Duvalier, in 1986, in a reaction to the cultural manipulation that characterized the Duvalier regime, monuments associated with the dictatorship were torn down throughout Haiti. Yabaté's sculptures and other statues dedicated to the Haitian revolution, were allowed to remain. Such tolerance of Barthes' works suggests that, independently of such short-term political self-interest, for many Haitians, they remain highly symbolic sites of liberation and the possibility of a more hope